Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. Live edition here at Taft's Brewporium. Thanks to everybody for coming out. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone, the living legend, Pike for Heisman in the crowd. Tony Pike joining us. The Bearcats are 6-0. and Things are good. It's the bye week. And uh, just like we predicted, right, Tony? Exactly how we saw this first uh, six weeks playing out. Yeah, I mean, we said going in they'd get six wins. And now they have it at the bye week. So. Didn't, didn't say what order. Right. I think we feel good. <laughs> uh, first thing I want to get into with uh, your extensive quarterbacking prowess, um, Desmond Ritter. Uh, we talked about him in the preseason, had a chance to see him at camp quite a bit. Did you see this coming? I, I didn't see this coming. No, it was one of those things we, would, we talked about at a camp where he looked good at times, but he struggled at times, and he wasn't taking that job from Hayden Moore. Uh, now you see once he got his game atmosphere, he's, he's a gamer. And, and there's, there's guys like that that struggle at practice and then the lights come on and they shine. And uh, I think he's kind of taken this, this first six games by storm of what he can do. Uh, when he runs the ball, he seems to always get the ankle because he's so elusively fast with his strides. And each game he's becoming more and more of a passer. He's like you, long strider. Right, right. A lot of my, a lot of my runs were like that once I got to the second level. You had a goal line play in a bowl game. It's probably not the way to start the podcast. <laughs> Um, it, obviously, though, it, when you're a quarterback, it helps when you've got a guy that is putting up some of the best numbers in the, in the nation with Mike Warren. And it's, it's crazy with him because I think he's a 4'8", 40 guy. He, he, and he's short, and he doesn't look like you a 4'8", 40 guy? You run a 4'8", 40? 4'8", 9. 4'8", right in that range. Yep. Um, he doesn't look like a guy that's going to wow you, but Jared Dokes has been injured all season, and, and Mike Warren has made us kind of not even – think that what could have been with Dokes here. Yeah, he was, he was the, the type of runner I thought we saw through the first five games, and then all of a sudden you look at the Tulane game and he breaks a, was it, 81-yarder? He needed oxygen for right. a month. He breaks an 81-yarder and actually was getting away from the defense. So you see that, and, and it's a testament to the offensive line. It's a testament to what Luke Fickle is, is doing here. They're going to be a power running team first, and they've shown that on fourth down conversions. Obviously UCLA going for it on the goal line. Uh, and what I think is special about this team is they get more touches as you, you hammer Michael Warren for three quarters, and then you get a guy like McClellan or Tavion Thomas fresh in the fourth quarter against a tired defense. Tavion Thomas, that's, ridiculous. that's not what guys look like when, no. uh, when you play. That's not what guys look like until last year, this year. No, you're, you're supposed to look like that as you leave college. There was, uh, there was one of the TV people that, that wasn't a sports guy, one of the photographers, and I think it was the touchdown that he scored against Tulane. The guy looked at me and said, he's as big as their defensive tackle. Yeah, that's, that's what kids that go to Oklahoma look like. That's why he was committed to Oklahoma for a while. He was as big as one of UConn's defensive tackles. Yeah. They were starting a freshman that was 6'3", 235. Now, one thing on this offense that they're going through right now, Garrett Campbell, um, broken ankle. Uh, that's a six-year senior. I think he was in your freshman class. Yeah, yeah. My uh, – <laughs> My six-year plan at UC is a very ex- ex- exclusive <laughs> club. Um, how hard is it to make that transition, especially now you're going to a redshirt freshman that really got his first meaningful snaps when Campbell got hurt? Well, the hardest part about it is because you have a freshman quarterback. Uh, if it's a fifth-year senior quarterback, you can get over some of that stuff. But when you have a freshman quarterback, uh, Garrett Campbell was able to make a lot of the calls at the offensive line. Uh, the line of scrimmage to set the defense and set protections and things like that. So you lose that, and now you basically have two freshmen working off each other. So luckily, Dez has had enough playing time. 
Uh, and Garrett's set such a good example, and, and he's been such a great teammate, even through the injury of still being there, uh, helping out, uh, and just trying to get on the same page because it's so important to be able to, uh, to pick up protections in the running game, like you said, which is so important. It, it's stuff you take for granted, a center quarterback snap that we saw yeah. once Garrett Campbell left uh, that we've struggled with for, for two games now that needs to get cleaned up. And Dez has done a really good job kind of saving him on a couple of those because there were probably three or four in the Tulane game that it seems like when he's, when he's blocking right, he almost snaps it directly to the running back, um, and Dez has kind of made some plays that, that saved him. That's, that's another one of those things with Dez where maturity and, and confidence beyond his years. Yeah, and you don't see with Dez a lot of the misreads. They run so many run-pass options and type of looks where he can either keep the ball or hand it off to the running back, and he makes those reads like a fourth- or fifth-year guy. I mean, he's, he's quick, he's decisive, and at that, at that offense you have to be. If you're second-guessing, you have no chance. That's something that's kind of surprised me just from us being at fall camp. There would be several times where he'd kind of not see that underneath guy. Brian Wright intercepted him several times. Yeah. And really, outside of the one throw at the goal line at UCLA, he really hasn't put the ball in a bad spot in any of the games, which to me is kind of stunning just because it, we didn't see anything like that in practice, and then you wouldn't figure a guy in his first starts would just totally alleviate those type of plays all of a sudden. Yeah, that was the, again, that was, like you said, the, the drawback in camp was he was throwing so many interceptions and interceptions to guys that he shouldn't be throwing interceptions to, defensive linemen, linebackers. But what I think the growth and I think what Coach Caduli having Gino in the quarterback room is such an advantage of just of, of getting across how important not turning the ball over is. When I was playing, uh, we had a saying that we wanted to end every drive with a kick. So whether that's a field goal, a punt, extra point, if you do that, you're going to give yourself a chance to win. You're going to give the defense a chance uh, to keep yourself in the game. So that's what I think Dez is taking to heart the most. He doesn't have to try to fit into small windows, live to see the next down, and keep making smart choices. You mentioned Gino. I think that that's an area that, that hasn't really – it was talked about in the preseason, but hasn't been talked about a lot since. Mike Denbrock is, is a tight ends coach. He coached quarterbacks last year, and, and because Gino came in so late, the situation with the running back coach they hired, not working out, and then they brought Gino in, uh, the tight ends have been better with Denbrock working with them. I think the quarterbacks have been better with Gino there. And I think you could even say running back it hasn't been a problem with Doug Phillips. Luke Fickle gets a lot of credit for kind of shuffling that around, putting the pieces where they should have been. Well, Phillips has obviously done a great job when you look at the running back core. But look at Josiah DeGuaro and what he's done yeah. now since Mike Dembrock's taken over that unit. And it helps having the guy calling plays, the one coaching you, because you might get a couple extra throws in a game. <laughs> uh, but anytime you got a guy like Gino and you go into that stadium and your name's in that ring of honor, as a quarterback that, that's being taught – there's a certain level of respect you have because you know the guy's been in those meeting rooms. You know he's walked the same steps that you have. Uh, and it, it makes him so much more credible and, and believable to, to go and say, okay, I know what, what to do because you've been here. You've, you've went in this path before. I've seen him point up there before to guys to, to let them know. But Gino was a, a pretty legendary talker while he was here. Are you impressed with, uh, with how he's matured now he's, he's – He's old and stately now. Yeah, it's like a whole different Gadouli. It's, it's, I knew the Gino, like I said, because I was at UC for 13 years. I played with, with Gino. I played with uh, Ben Gadouli. But Gino Greg was Cook. a uh, – Yeah, Greg <laughs> Cook, um, Jonathan Ruffin, all the guys up there. Yeah. Uh, Shaq Washington. 
But no, I, 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 being there with Gino, it's totally different as to, you know, he was crazy and wild and, and gunslinger, and now he's this family guy and, you know, the gray hair coming through, I always give him, give him crap for. But he is, he's done a great job with this group, and anytime you get a, a redshirt freshman quarterback putting up the numbers that, that Des Ritter is, that, that's a lot of that goes to the quarterback coach and what they're doing. This is out of left field a little bit, but could you see him running the show here? down the road yeah I do I, I think he can I think he he understands offenses uh he was going to be the offensive coordinator at Central Michigan yeah that's the next step yep. obviously yep. He, he's been with the running backs he's been with the quarterbacks uh and I think that's the next step in his progression and and you know whether that's down the road or sooner than later I think he would fill in nicely in that role we talk offense because you're an offensive guy um thank you I mean I don't know how much you know about defense other than than throwing it to the other team um, <laughs> um, I had a couple tackles. You do have a couple tackles, impressive ones too. In open field, in space. In Guy had the angle. Yeah, I, I figured the, the the Panthers were going to give you a look at safety, right? Yeah, yeah. Without the the uh, the, the shoulder injury, yeah, that was that was gonna that was gonna be my next transition. But. <laughs> um, offensive line. Before we get to defense, uh, Ron Crook did this last year with a group that everybody kind of said. We don't know what they're going to get out of this group. And they weren't great last year, but they were, they were improved. And then this year they've been really, really solid. And I, yesterday at practice, you'll like this. They were or, yeah Thursday at practice. They're doing a lot of stuff with the young guys because of the bye week. That, uh, the second team offensive line was Lorenz Metz at left tackle, Vince McConnell at left guard, uh, Jeremy Cooper, they're trying at center. Who's six foot five, three hundred and fifteen pounds? Uh, right guard was Logan Woodside, whose dad played at UC with you yep. back in the eighties. Um, and then, and then Darius Harper, the Miami basketball transfer, yep. that's six foot eight, three hundred and twenty pounds. So a six ten, a six eight, three six fives. What they've done to restock this offensive line in such quick, quick fashion has been unreal. Yeah, I was watching the Ohio State-Minnesota game today, and Minnesota's got a right tackle that's 6'9", 400 pounds as a freshman. Uh, seeing guys like that, but the athleticism that, that UC's recruiting, and Brady Collins, certainly the strength coach, gets a lot of credit for that. But these guys aren't just big and weigh a lot, but they, they can move and they're mobile and they're aggressive, and I think that's what gives you the most hope about this group because it's not like they they can come out and they can get shut down for a quarter or two but they're so strong and they're so in such great condition that they can wear on you and then the third and fourth quarter as we saw in the opener at UCLA and every game this year they really start to wear on you and those running lanes open and and that's a credit to sticking with it Mike Denbrock yep. not abandoning the run which we've seen in the past uh, when things weren't working early they, they stick to it and they continue to pound and punish a defense up front I think you know, when we watched them in the spring, we were concerned of the overall size of the unit. It, it was They were pretty small guys, and then all of a sudden you get a transfer. Dino Boyd allows you to then move Garrett Campbell to center. And obviously, you know. Morgan James. Morgan James solidifying the right guard spot. I think, obviously, Dez would probably be considered the biggest surprise in the first six games. But I would almost say the offensive line just because it was so unknown – and for the most part, they've been really, really good. I know the two-lane game, they gave up a couple pressures and forced a, had a forced fumble and an interception. But other than that, I mean, there really hasn't been times where we saw last year, it was like snap the ball and run for cover, or there was nothing, no running lanes anywhere 
between the tackles last year, and that's where Mike Warren's gained pretty much all of his yards is right up the middle. So for those guys to kind of come together so quickly, I think it's been pretty impressive. Yeah, they've, they've done such a great job of, of being physical and being the attacker, whereas previous years they were kind of just catching the defense. Uh, they're attacking, and yes, they're going to make mistakes because they're playing so aggressive, but a lot of that goes to Coach Ron Crook, the offensive line coach, what he's doing, what he's instilling now, being a couple years in. And, and you can't take away how much the, the running game helps an offensive line in the passing game, in the play action. It makes Dez's reads a lot easier. Uh, it really gives you a chance to see what the defense is going to do. They bite up on play action, and that's where you've seen Josiah DeGuaro uh, be such a weapon for this team. Um, defensively, again, like we predicted, uh, number, number two defense in the country, yep. uh, number, yep. number three in points allowed or whatever it is now. Um, I remember Mar- that. Marcus Freeman, unbelievable job, and you have to give a ton of credit to Steve Stripling for what this defensive line is doing. Not just, And we talked about this a lot in the preseason. It wasn't just about sacks. Yeah. It was about getting the quarterback off of his spot, and they've done a really good job of – you don't see guys just hanging in the pocket for six seconds and picking the defense apart. Well, I think going into the year, we knew Cortez Broughton and, and Marquise and Copeland, Copeland yeah. were going to be the anchor. But what they've done with Brian Wright, moving him to linebacker, um, the, the center of that defense at your, at your two tackle positions and your middle linebacker are so solidified that it forces teams to go outside. And that was, of course, a question mark. And then you look at what they've done. This is the best tackling Bearcat yeah. team I can remember seeing. Yep. one-on-one tackles in space, uh, and they come up and they're tacking, tackling hard. They're physical. They're flying to the ball. Uh, they're trying to force turnovers. It's just a, it's a completely different look than what we've seen because they're being the aggressors. And they, obviously it helps when the offense is putting up points, but, again, a guy you talked about, uh, Marcus Freeman, Mike Mickens back in the secondary, a yeah. guy that's played there, a guy that was an All-American at UC. Having a guy like that to, to go through meetings with and workouts with, it, it, makes it, it makes it fun, and, it, 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 again, it gives that verification of, okay, this, is, this, is wor- this works. It's worked in the past. It can work for us. And as long as guys keep making tackles in space, they're going to keep putting up great numbers defensively. Mike Mickens trash talks his, his room more than anybody I've ever seen. He's got like the uh, – Kerry Combs was always the one at practice where he would, lose his, he, would, he would lose his voice so quick, and Mike Mickens is the same. His voice is gone – I like the third period of practice because he's, he's coaching and yelling every play. It's fantastic. What's that say to you guys from Fickle as a former player to see Mickens back, to see Geno back, to see some assistance? You know, Joker was around. Ron Crook was around. Um, does that send a message to you guys that it, it really is about kind of that brotherhood other than, you know, Tony Pike being quarterback coach? Yeah. Well, you know, once Gino makes that transition, we'll talk about that. <laughs> but, no, it is. It's, it's for so many years there's been so much change at uh, athletic director, uh, football coaches, that a lot of the players that played in the past, it was hard to get back to a game and get back because you, you didn't know who to get in contact with. And, and Luke Fickle and his staff have made it a priority to reach out, not just as coaches, but as guys that have played in the past, that you're always welcome here. We want you around. We want you to see what we're building. Uh, and I think a lot of the players, you see a lot more players coming back to games now and enjoying that stuff. But to, to honor guys like Mickens and Gino Gadulli with their playing career here and then bringing them back as coaches, it shows that the past means something. And, again, I think it, it helps those rooms when, when times get tough or practices get hard. 
with coaches that have been there before and that have went through the same grind in the same spot as you. Here's a story for you. I don't know if I told you this one or not. We're, we're standing on the, on the sideline with the previous coach uh, who liked to talk to the media during practice. And um, it's a Tuesday practice. Monday night football had just happened. Uh, and it was Barwin with the Eagles, I believe. Had a dominating game, a couple sacks, uh, caused a forced fumble or something. Um, so we're, we're all standing down there talking. And I said, hey, Barwin had a big game last night. And the previous coach goes, who? It's like, Connor Barwin. He goes, oh, did he play here? I yeah. That, I yeah, think that guy did. just yeah. got a job with the athletic. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that, that, that's a guy that just signed a uh, $50 million contract. You, you might want to know him. <laughs> he would, the former coach that you're speaking of was great <laughs> with me because I like to golf now that I don't play football anymore. And every time I talked to him, he, he was getting out to a different golf course. It was fantastic. <laughs> he was leaning on me to figure out, hey, what courses are good in this area? And we would, at, you know, while practice was going on, I was trying to figure out, hey, how's, how's Gunner look out there? And it was, no, he wants to talk played, about have it. you played Legendary Run yet? <laughs> What, what can you tell me about the seventh, the legendary run? <laughs> Those pin placements out there are tough. <laughs> um, the biggest thing I think about this defense uh, that has changed is the secondary. Um, and not to take away from what they had at the secondary, but they didn't have the size and athleticism that, that we're seeing now, especially James Wiggins, Kobe Bryant, Derek Forrest, three young guys. Um, and then you mix in some veterans, Tyrell Gilbert, um, um, Cam Jeffries that transferred from Bowling Green uh, and it, it, you've got a situation where maybe the most talented guy in that secondary is a freshman in Arquan Bush he's hardly seen the field because the guys in front of him are playing so well that's not a problem that's been frequent here uh, corner and safety since Mike yeah. Mickens D'Angelo Smith Haruki Nakamura yeah I think the the amazing thing and, and, and I related because I was watching baseball last week when the Yankees lost and they were talking the Yankees are ahead of schedule for what they were supposed to be. They were supposed to be a couple years away from competing for a World Series. And I think when we talked about our preseason predictions, we thought 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five was a great year because of all the youth that was going to be sprinkled into this team. And now you see them at the bye week 6-0. and oh, Unbelievable to be bowl eligible already. But now you look at the future and what we have at the anchor of that defense in the secondary to me is amazing. And it with, with how strong and athletic and big and physical these guys are now, more time in Brady Collins' strength and conditioning program is going to do wonders. And, and this is going to be a defense that is, is going to have to be reckoned with for years to come in this league. They're, they're, since Fickle arrived, they, they've had the, the partial recruiting class when he took over, a full recruiting class. This is his third in a sense. The first one... He got Derek Forrest and Kobe Bryant. They were the number one and number two corners in the state of Ohio. The second one, he gets Arquan Bush, the number one corner in the state of Ohio. And in the third class, he's got a kid, Justin Harris, from Dayton Wayne, the number one cornerback in the state of Ohio. You talk about up in the bar and recruiting, especially with as pass-heavy as college football is now. That's how you go out and get it done. You get the number one guy three years in a row. Well, you look at pass-heavy and you look at the American Athletic Conference, yeah. South Florida, Central Florida, Memphis, uh, all these teams, Houston. all these teams that put up points, and and they're, and that's fast offenses, no huddle stuff. So you got to have athletes out there that can adjust, that can play for a prolonged series of time. Uh, but but you look at Luke Fickle's track record. Obviously, his time at Ohio State, he knows what he's doing defensively. Uh, he knows how to put the de- defense together. And when you're coming down here and you're winning the area, which is what the previous coach didn't do, 
you're winning the area in recruiting and you're making UC a destination spot that you want to go to much like uh, when I was coming out of high school, that was the thing to do. Let's go to UC and we can be a part of something special. And now that's what Luke Fickle and his staff are, are doing. And I think that goes back again to the coaching staff that they've brought in that have been here before and can recruit the area and know the high school scene is, is one of the best high school areas in the, in the country. Anything? Yeah, just kind of you know, more big picture just because the results so far this season are so stark compared to last year. What have you just seen in general? Because, you know, you're around, you're on the sidelines during the games, you're in the locker room. No, he's not. <laughs> but, I have to pick and choose my time. So. Oh, okay. But, you know, what are, the, what are some of the biggest differences you've noticed? Because, I mean, I don't think, you know, regardless of the schedule and, you know, I know the first six games are probably considerably easier have been than what's ahead of them. But nothing that we've seen yeah. looked like last year. So where's the big change coming from? Well, I would be able to watch a lot more, but Chad on the sidelines tries to cross the lines that he's not supposed to. So part of my job becomes – You're the, the get-back guy? Part of my job becomes keeping Chad off the field um, and, and keeping him in his box over there. Keeping Mike Bone off the field. Yes, keeping it, Mike Bone off the field at uh, times. He, he, was he wanted to go after the officials yes. in the Ohio game. Yeah, he has a lot of fire. Um, <laughs> but – Passionate. I, I think the just the sideline atmosphere. The last couple of years, you could you could get a feel on the sideline when things were going bad that it was going to get worse. And this year, when things go bad, they get changed and they get rerouted to the right direction. Uh, and that's that's a chemistry that's formed and that's a belief amongst the players that hey, we're not going to go down this path again. Uh, but I think a lot of it too is is what this team has accomplished already. You go on the road, and I know UCLA win and loss record right now isn't good uh, but that's a tough place to travel and, and open up in Chip Kelly's first game uh, and then you, you take care of Miami of Ohio in a, a downpour so you win a rivalry game and it's the way they've done it they've they've taken care of business against teams they should they've gotten behind multiple touchdowns in games and shown that they can come back and I think that prepares them and builds them for later on in the year when they face these situations where they might be down a score or two late in the game they can rely and say, we've been here before. And I think that, that travels and that carries a long way. And then they're just not satisfied. You watch in the locker room after the game. Yes, there's a little celebrating, but it's, hey, you know, we're 6-0. and This is nothing. We, this is not where we want to be. Enjoy it tonight when we get back in here for meetings. Whatever time meetings are on Monday, let's come in locked in. And I think that starts at the players and breeding a, a sense of, of winning in this program because for the last couple of years, they haven't handled winning well. Uh, so now handling the wins and moving on to the next week and being locked in goes a long way. Does it feel like maybe at this point, and we don't know what the second half of the season holds, like they skipped a step? Because is it like when you go back to like the, the D'Antonio years leading up into Brian Kelly, it was a slow build because he had Geno in that really senior-laden class his first year. The second year was the youngest defense in the country. The third year, it builds. All of a sudden, you beat Rutgers at Nippert Stadium. Uh, Brent Selleck with one of the, the great Cincinnati plays of all time. Some would say that, that killed Rutgers football program. It kind of did. Uh, my, favorite, my favorite killing Rutgers football moment was the next year, though, with Ben Mock chopping wood right in front of Greg Schiano's face down their sideline. Since you brought them up, Tony, you'll appreciate this. As a former quarterback, 
Today, Rutgers quarterbacks at one point were two for 18 for eight yards and five interceptions. Did you That's ever how have, they finished. Did you ever have a game like that? Uh, no, no. We're, you, uh, you were at the Orange Bowl. I still had a couple completions. I wasn't going <laughs> to. Hey, we were up 7 nothing. I wasn't going to bring it up. I mean, I did my job. 7 nothing. Where's the, the defense? defense? <laughs> that team couldn't catch a cold defensively. UConn scored like 50 points. Tyrod Taylor still playing in the league. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it feels like they've skipped a step almost. There hasn't been that go through a period of winning some tough games and maybe losing a couple tough games. Lose some close games just because you're not quite prepared to win. Yeah, when you're young, and but they they kind of went straight from not being competitive. They could have been one and eleven last year, and and they're six and zero. Yeah, that, the, the crazy thing is, is that they're so young and they're so mature at the same time. They, uh, they don't get down on themselves. And, and when I do quarterback training now, I tell the quarterbacks that I'm with, if I were to tune into a game midway through the third quarter and I don't know the score, I shouldn't be able to look at the quarterback and know if they were up 30 and he just threw an interception or just threw a touchdown. Uh, so, and, that, and that's what you see from this, this team offensively and defensively. Uh, they keep a, a level head. They play to the next series. They don't get too excited. Uh, and, and you see it, like I said, they're, they're 6-0, and but they're a battle-tested 6-0 and that have been through some tough times and came out on the right side of a lot of games. And now you get the bye week, I, I don't want to say at a, at a good time because you're 6-0, and but I think you know, right in the middle of the season, you can heal up from some injuries, um, you can kind of refresh. Uh, I know what, an, what a, an off weekend would look like for you. But, but what do you go through? They, they were let go Thursday after practice. They don't have to be back until tomorrow night. You get three days off. And does that kind of clear your mind and, and get you refreshed? Yeah, and I, I think when you look at a guy like Michael Warren, he needed to buy more than anybody. Yeah. He, was, he was wore out. He's been a workhorse for us. But so much of it now is these, the coaching staff is so adamant about, hey, take a couple days away from football. Because when you go through it, winter conditioning, spring ball, summer camp, those are all a grind. And then you get to the season, and if you just think of a full schedule, you're, mentally it's tough to get over. So you mentally get to the bye week, and now you're looking to that home stretch and finishing out. The hardest thing now for these kids that get to go home, you've got to handle success because now everyone in your hometown or when you get home, you're 6-0. and They all want to see you. They all want to hang out with you. You just got to make sure to make the right decisions when you're home on a bye weekend and come back, and I'm sure they'll have meetings tomorrow. Come back locked in and, and understand that there's a lot of work now to be done, but a big weight is off your shoulder because you are bowl eligible. Now you can go out there and play free and make a run at this conference championship. You know, usually you do a lot of self-scouting on a bye week. and something Tony's I, big on self-scouting. Self-scouting. Something I noticed just in the two-lane game was with the offense, they had a defensive tackle head up on Jakari, which we hadn't really seen this year because Gary Campbell's tough to get head up on at 6'5", over 300 pounds. And I think that was – caused some issues from an interior run standpoint what are some things you think that they might try to do in the bye week and then going through the next six games try to maybe get more runs to the outside or to 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 alleviate that well I think uh coming from the Tulane game they're going to work on special teams a lot uh, because special teams struggled kickoff really good start to the season and the last two weeks have been yeah I think I mean James Smith has been an incredible at punter but uh, field goal kickoff, they're going to work on special teams a lot. Defensively, I think it, the main focus is still going to be first and second down because they're so good and the, the, so athletic in the secondary. And you look at the schedule that's coming up now for us, 
if you can hold teams like South Florida and Temple, Navy, UCF on first and second down and force them into third and longs, then the playbook opens up for Marcus Freeman. But if you let teams get five or six on first and second down, especially a team like Navy who can run the ball in third and five effectively, you're going to put yourself behind the eight ball. So winning first and second down. And then I think offensively continue to work the, the receiving core because that was the biggest question going in. And then have an understanding maybe Tavion Thomas and McClellan, get them some more touches because they're such a dynamic trio at running back. Warren's a power guy. Tavion Thomas is a – it's just a freak of nature. And then McClellan can hit you outside with that burst of speed. I think the more you show those guys, the more it gives defenses uh, more that they got to prepare for in that week of practice. Because you only get so much time in a week to prepare uh, for what, a def- what an offense can show you. The more you can show a defense on film, the less they have uh, to, to really work on what you have to your bread and butter. So essentially everybody thought coming into the season – Get to six and six. Get to six wins, and you're playing with house money. Now you've got six games left, and you're playing with house money. Expectations raise. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. I don't think anybody would be happy if we're sitting here in in a month and a half at six and six. We did a reverse Miami Ohio. Yeah, the reverse Moo you um, from two years ago. What is in that locker room? What are the the expectations? I mean, I know a team thinks differently. They're never going to think, you know, lose. But now are you thinking nine wins, ten wins, try to win the conference at this point? Yeah, I think that, that three game. First of all, I think Temple next week is going to be a, a really tough test. Temple, they lost to Villanova early in the year, but they're playing. They change quarterbacks, right. and they're a different team. They're playing unbelievable ball right now. It's homecoming, and it's a noon start. And I think that there's been one Achilles heel right now of this team. It's been early starts and falling behind in those early starts. Uh, so that game, and then you look at that three-game stretch of Navy, South Florida, uh, UCF, I think nine, ten wins is very doable. And I think that, obviously, the, the goal of the locker room is to go undefeated and, yeah. and win a conference championship and, uh, and, and win the conference championship game and play in a, a big New Year's Bowl. Uh, but I think what the coaching staff and the players have done so well up to this point is game by game. And there really wasn't much talk. It was a congratulations, you're bowl eligible, but there wasn't much talk about a bowl game after that, that Tulane win, it was, hey, rest your bodies, get ready. we got to go to Temple, and now the schedule's going to get tougher. You go Temple, you go at SMU, um, and then you finish with, what, three of the last four at home? Yep. Um, the, only, the only road game being, obviously, UCF. Are they? 30-17 still, Memphis. So Temple's, UC- Temple's down 17-10. So well, that's interesting. Um, so you're in a position where you can kind of feel like, and especially, I mean, if UCF goes down today, you beat them and they're, they're out of the mix. I mean, you know, the, easier said than done, obviously, but they're showing some weakness in the run. Um, you look around this conference and South Florida, I, I've never, Charlie Strong just doesn't do it for me. I know that there was a lot of sentiment about him getting this job when, when the previous coach was the best was game go. they've played was their loss to Central Florida last year. Yeah, I mean um, that game last night they had no business winning. But I still they have no. Struggled, they they had to come Florida back has, to beat Illinois. Like South Florida historically doesn't like coming to Nippert when it's cold in November. Yeah, I, we were we were talking about this the other day. There was I can't remember. It was a couple years ago, and they came up here. It was early November, and it was I think like fifty-two degrees. So. Not that bad. And they had the giant, 
heaters that and the heated benches that teams have when it's like 14 to like like we're at pittsburgh for pike to bends remember that yeah that's a, i got a big smile i got a big smile but no they they came and they had like the big like jacket with the, the hoodies over top of them and it was like that i've never has it never been in the 50s it was that was something we talked about like during the week of south florida because uh 2008 they were coming into nipper yeah um during a halloween game i think it was and it was going to be cold and the talk that week was they don't like being hit they don't like playing when it's cold and I believe that team had George Selvey and yeah, I think that's and, when the and, Halloween third yeah, down yes. music started. But they, they, you can tell you they when when it got physical, they just they they pushed away from that. So you have them at home coming up. Uh, you have a lot of chances in this schedule, uh, but also when you when you hear scores like that, it goes to say any team in this conference can beat anyone week to week unless it's yeah. UConn, which is Ooh. awful. Um, you you could have had a huge day against that UConn yeah. defense. Well, they like, got, like, yeah, like, like the, now. Like, like now. Bob Diaco's not there anymore with the red pants. <laughs> uh, but, no, it's, any team can beat anyone in this conference. It's, it's, uh, it's up in the air, so it's great to be sitting where we're at right now, but obviously there's a lot more work to be done. Speaking of Bob, how is Bob at Sugar Bowl bowl prep? I don't know. I, don't, I barely even <laughs> saw him. That was, that was, that was on the, the hardest thing about prepping for the Sugar Bowl was the coaching staff knew that they needed to find jobs as well. Yeah, because the ones that he was taking were gone. Right, so it was kind of like, hey, when practice was over, I'm going to throw my resume out there. Good luck, whatever you guys need to do (laughs) after that. That that made it very hard, but uh, it was – They give you the playbook and tell you you were the offensive coordinator? Good luck this week. It's just Tebow. They only got like 15 – First round draft picks over there. <laughs> well, that was the messed up part of that whole deal. Was they were way better than Alabama, and lost to them in that. Oh yeah, I think we give Alabama. I think we give Bama one for the other. If you would have got yeah, into the title, yeah, we had Bama in the title game. Yeah. When the title, I don't know if your head coach can leave before a title if, if game. Colt McCoy doesn't. He, I don't, his ego would. His ego would. Let's get into this. Let's yeah. have fun here. <laughs> his ego would not have allowed him to miss a national championship game. Right? There's no way. Couldn't have missed it. So what, what, do you think he works a deal out with Notre Dame where he stays? Notre or? Dame wouldn't have waited that long. Yeah, I don't think they would have waited. So would it, if, if, altered, if, the, altered the, the course of history. If the Colt McCoy throw so is rolled you, out of bounds at zero Colt instead McCoy of one. Moore or Indomitian Sue more for Indomitian Sue. not getting him down. I can't dislike down. other quarterbacks. I dislike Indomitian Sue more. He didn't, just couldn't get him down, and yep. they put one second back on the clock. Yep. I mean, Figure out a way. Well, what was that day like? Because I know you guys were home by the time. Um, were you, you? I don't know much of the first half. I blacked out for a lot of the first half of the Pittsburgh game. <laughs> no, but by the time the big Marty, you woke up when Marty took the the, the kickback, right? Oh, wow, we're, we're only down fourteen. Game. Wow. <laughs> uh, no, I think the uh, I think the first of all, I think my family got there at like sunrise in the RV to 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 start tailgating, and um, I, I remember a little bit of the first half. Yeah, I think before the, the half, I had a really big tackle on one of my interceptions. You did. I remember that, yeah. Um, big hit. But at halftime, the... the did you, you watch that back on film the yeah. next day? The, the halftime speech went something similar to, hey, you're going to apologize to all these guys in the room for ruining their perfect season. Oh, God. And that was kind of it. That was, that was my adjustments at halftime. That's what he told like, you? Yeah. So it was kind of like, all right, coach, uh, we'll, yep, we'll get them. <laughs> uh, things started to go well in the second half, obviously. And, and when they... When they, oh, we, couldn't, we couldn't stop uh, any of their running backs in the first no. half regardless. But 
Was that Shady or was that Deion Lewis? Um, Deion Lewis, Deion Lewis. Yes. When they when they missed the extra point after they scored with under two minutes, I think everyone in that offensive huddle knew we could go down and score. Uh, and then it was obviously, um, obviously jubilation after that. And then the high of winning the Big East and know you're going back to a BCS to thinking Texas just lost, uh, lost and you're going to the national title to having a second go back on the clock. There was a lot of highs and lows. But Were you guys back from the game or were you on your way back? We were on the bus, the, but the bus had TVs. When the Big 12 championship yeah. game was So we were watching on the bus, so obviously we were going crazy on the bus, thinking we just punched our ticket to the national championship game. And then, you know, you, if it's not deflating enough, leaving the national championship game to then see Florida just fall into your lap in the, in the, the second game was, was tough because my Urban Meyer almost died. Yeah, he my, came back. You my, got to know Carlos Dunlop real well that game. Yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting. I thought I'd get like a little piece of his contract because I really <laughs> helped out his draft grade a lot. But my, uh, my youngest brother who played at Wake Forest got recruited to Louisville with Charlie yeah. Strong. And on, some of the vis- on, a, on a visit, I... I'd met Charlie Strong, and he even said that was from coaching and playing and, and watching football, that was the best defense he's ever been a part of or ever seen. And I just agreed with him. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yes, that was, you're you're absolutely were, correct. They, they were very best good. Best I've ever seen. Hey, it, didn't, it didn't hurt that there were some guys on that team that maybe enjoyed Bourbon Street. Uh, That's what I heard. I didn't, uh, that, that couldn't have been you. No, it wasn't because I was, I was, believe it or not, I was looking at my playbook and watching film the night before the game, still trying to figure out What's, yeah, what, what, what kind gonna, of offense yeah, you were going to run. What are we going to do to, to move your, the ball on these guys? For your debut as yeah. an offensive coordinator. Yeah, and then, you know, we had that, the excitement of the white helmets. I was trying to keep Storm my Trooper look. In. But it was a, uh, no, I, I didn't really enjoy Bourbon Street that much. <laughs> Nor did I enjoy South Beach. No. I'm looking, well, I'd, I'd like to get back someday as a, as a fan. It, well, I mean, you've got a statue in Carolina. It, it was on Twitter. I saw I it. So uh, I believe that that happened. Yeah. Um, but unbelievable, though, to – I don't know how many people know, and I think we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, your eighth year in the program, Brian Kelly kind of told you, figure it out or, or it's time to go. And to yeah. go from that to starting in two BCS Bowls, what was that, that ride? Yeah, I remember I, I called my parents the uh, summer camp my junior year because Coach Kelly kind of had a talk with me and said, look, you're – if you could be 80th on the depth chart, you're 80th on the depth chart at quarterback. And there's four or five guys ahead of you. And uh, if things don't change throughout this camp, uh, you're going to probably want to go ahead and we'll honor your scholarship, but there's not really a spot on the team for you. And, you know, I, I really didn't change anything on my end. I got a couple more opportunities to see what I could yeah. do that camp. And obviously you take that and, and you hate to win a job due to an injury right. to Dustin Grutza. But um, obviously just being ready and being prepared and, Having six other quarterbacks prepared for all the injuries we went through that year was also key. But, uh, no, it was, a, it was a crazy ride and a, a great way to finish. I just like to block off that Sugar Bowl part of it. What, what, what does your mom say when, when you tell her, Coach told me I, I, might, I might be done here? Uh, I think it was, it was more like, oh, well, just, just keep pushing, keep fighting, and uh, <laughs> see what happens. And now that's, she hung up and looked at yeah. your dad when he's yep. finished. He's done. It's over. <laughs> Down. It's been a good ride. <laughs> and I, was, I was to a point where I, I didn't want him to come up to family day. I was miserable at camp. It was, uh, it was, it was a, a terrible time, and, and things turned around based on some good practices. And, again, just getting an opportunity because I think I just had the, the label of someone that, you know, I wasn't a 4-4 guy, obviously, and I was more of a pocket guy. But it's amazing when there's like 6'8", 340-pound guys chasing you that you run and move faster 
than you might show in like a seven-on-seven seven drill. <laughs> it's amazing to go through that, isn't it? It, it, it? Does that make Brian Kelly a quarterback whisperer? He, he was able to... Yep, he's the guru. He, he was able to make you a legend in yep. Cincinnati. The, you, you, you haven't paid for a beer in Reading since 2008. It was, it was crazy. They were playing Ball State, and it was the first time since I've... The, the banquet where Brian Kelly left, where I think he gave me like a backhanded compliment at halftime of the Ball State game, saying that the Ball State quarterback reminded him of me. At the time, I went in and I was like, well, what's the Ball State score? Is this guy terrible? <laughs> and they were in the game, so I was like, wow, that's a uh, kind of a backdoor compliment from Brian Kelly. So He, he doesn't do that much. No. He's not much of a compliment guy. No, I, he I doesn't. I saw him yell at a lot of people. Yeah, it, was, it was funny. Uh, Devin, my brother, played at Wake Forest, and they played at Notre Dame. And so I called up Beth Rex, who uh, was like the SID, or not SID, but she did some of the front office work, and she got me pregame sideline passes for me and my sister and Brian Kelly and Longo, who's a strength coach, came up and there was a big talk about how they were worried that I was on the field. It was like a, a big deal. And I, I said, for what? And they said, well, they're worried that you're going to steal signs. <laughs> they were worried six, seven, eight years after I played that I was going to steal signs. And somehow, you haven't changed your signs in seven years? Was, somehow I was going to transfer them to the Wake Forest coach from the stands and they would get that to the field before the play got snapped. So that was a lot of the worry pregame. So I, I think I had a hand in, in you know, Wake. Longo was an interesting cat. We'll just leave, yeah. it, leave it there. Barry. I think we can just leave it there. I, they really, he clearly values your brain at a level that I was unaware of. Future yeah. coach. I, mean. I don't know, I don't know if, if their concepts are called the same, but, but watching a Notre Dame game, it's funny because – you can still call out a lot of the plays in the bubble in the screens, rings. bubble screen Bubbles, to Marty sticks, choice routes, beautiful things. Um, you know, well, we can do, open it up to a little Q and A. Any, any, yeah, any questions sure. for Tony, mom, anything for him? 